there is a fair bit of mystery, at least for me, when it comes to operations. And uh, I've have been hearing a lot of different terms being thrown out lately, such as BPO, and I don't really know what they mean. So I'm glad you guys are here to uh, inform me and our audience about them. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's exciting. Thanks for having us. Of course. I'm very happy to have you guys here. Now, before we get into all our very exciting topics, please introduce yourselves. Sure. Uh, I'm Len Brooks. I'm responsible for the back office solutions here at CGI. Um, from a from a career experience point of view, I have spent most of my career in the investment outsourcing business, uh, crossing software outsourcing, business processing outsourcing, which we'll talk about more today, uh, as well as some of the other investor services such as custodial services, securities lending, and the like. But really, I've spent my whole life in in the Canadian asset management uh, outsourcing business. And I'm Tej Mohabir. I've been primarily in the financial services my entire career, um, most recently with CI Financial before joining CGI recently. So happy to be here and uh, experience the joy that CGI has to <laughs> offer because there's a lot. Excellent. Well, there's been a lot of talk about CGI and CI's partnership, and we'll definitely speak about it. Um, I am curious, though, you recently joined CGI, Tej. Have there been any surprises, like anything that you were not expecting or any pleasant things that stood out to you? Yeah. I'm hoping they're pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> there are lots. My boss is here, so I have to. Uh, the people at CGI have been tremendous. They've been super uh, receptive, warm, um, and very giving in terms of uh, assistance. I'm so impressed with the capabilities that CGI has. Uh, as a new person to the company, I was not aware nor did I appreciate how big this company is with 90,000 employees in 40 countries. Uh, coming from a firm with uh, 20,000 employees across Canada, we thought we were, you know, a powerhouse mm -hmm. in, in Canada, but CGI just takes that to another level. And so I'm, in addition to that and the scale of the company, I'm really impressed with the controls they have in place to make sure we're doing everything we can in the best interest of our clients. That that was one of the, the things that really struck me in terms of the, the learning and the investment that I needed to make uh, to appreciate all the controls that CGI has in place today, uh, which of course started many, many years before uh, me by our founder. But it's an exciting place to be um, with the capabilities we have to take to market. So happy to be here. Well, I'm very glad that that's the impression you received because risk management and client satisfaction are something that we're always trying to put at the forefront. So to see that a newcomer is getting that reaction immediately is mm -hmm. is great and shows us that we are doing the right things. Yeah, it's great to see. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's speak a bit about your current roles at CGI. So Len, we can start with you. What are your focus areas right now? Sure. So uh, the, the back office solutions team that I'm responsible for is really made up of two main pillars, one being our IP solutions and one being our uh, business process outsourcing. So, so just to talk about each of those a little bit, IP solutions is, you know, our software solutions that we have uh, built and developed for our clients and that we deliver to our clients typically on a software as a service model. Um, the core focus of those applications are around record keeping applications. Um, we have a number of mutual fund uh, transfer agency applications for the mutual fund manufacturers. We have a GIC manufacturing platform, as well as a registered account platform, 
um, for managing the different specialized registered accounts, our ESPs, our DSPs and the like, as well as a, a, a smaller brokerage platform as well. So the, the, one of the pillars is the IP and delivering those to our clients um, in a software as a service model. And then the new pillar that we have uh, as of fall of, of last year is the BPO, so business process outsourcing. And that's where we are performing the back office services in our new partnership with uh, CI Financial. Uh, and in that, we are providing the actual transaction processing reconciliation of their mutual fund uh, uh, unit holders, as well as we are facilitating the call center that is predominantly the advisors and the advisor community and, and their offices calling in and, and inquiring about their uh, their accounts and the like. So that's really the two main pillars uh, under my organization uh, and, and sort of exciting to have expanded those because we didn't have the BPO until, you know, about six months ago. So it's exciting times for us to be in a, in a new line of service here. Yep, that is exciting. You said a lot there, and I want to unpack some <laughs> <them> of <a> it because <laughs> there's a lot of information that was just thrown out. So IPO and BPO, or sorry, IP and BPO. Correct. So in terms of IP, you said there's a lot of software. Can you kind of expand on that a bit? Like, what type of software are we speaking about? Is it investment management? Is it more than that? It's predominantly unit holder record keeping. So uh, the biggest platforms are around our mutual fund record keeping platforms. So for our in the last year, we've announced uh, transactions with CI and IGM, as well as our existing IP that we have, Funds360, the CGI IP. Um, we are providing mutual fund record keeping for approximately half of the industry. We're pushing a trillion dollars in assets across those platforms. And really what those platforms do is they are enabling the mutual fund manufacturers to create their products, launch their products, sell them, distribute them through the networks, whether it's a bank through their retail network or through the industry fund serve network to third party dealers. And we facilitate all of the transaction activities and obviously the record keeping that goes along with that to you know, keep the uh, keep everybody's balances whole and and uh, properly accounted for is really what those platforms do. Well, yes, I would imagine that keeping everyone's records accurate when it comes to their money is very important. <laughs> it's an important part of the industry is to be able to do that and and then communicate it back to the dealer community, um, put it push it out to the statements, push it out to the tax agencies. You know. A lot of the a lot of the downstream that comes out of that uh, is obviously very key. You know, when you really think about it, and 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 we had this conversation at a team level. You know, often you can look at these platforms and think they're just another platform, and great, we provide software. But the reality is, we are safekeeping Canadian investors' retirements. This is where people that have invested their money and they've entrusted their asset managers and their money managers with their assets, um, and they need to know that it's being properly recorded for properly reported to the government. The government, of course, is relying on the on the fund manufacturers to properly report everything so they can get their uh, their, their proper uh, tax reporting and tax incomes that they need from that. Um, and so it's an important role, you know, and, and we really play a, a part, a very small part in protecting Canadian retirements. It, I mean, it might be a small part, but it sounds like a very important part and also very complex. So there's, I imagine there's various teams and different systems that are involved in tracking all of this and reporting it appropriately to the right uh, stakeholders. Cer certainly. Yeah, the, yeah, we have a team 
that supports the different applications, uh, you know, over the last year um, with our CI and IGM acquisitions, you know, we've, we've, we've uh, added to our team with great knowledge and depth there as well. So we have a team of professionals that I think average length of service in the industry is somewhere in the 10 to 15 year range right now. Um, so it is a bit of a, a specialty area. Um, it's not the sexiest area of the investment <laughs> management space for sure, but it is the necessary evil uh, to make sure that, that uh, you know, the industry as a whole functions smoothly. Oh, absolutely. And Tej, uh, you recently, of course, as we just discussed, you recently joined CGI yeah. as a part of the CI deal. So, you know, what have your experience like been with the IP side? Like, are you, are you involved in this as well? I am from a BPO delivery um, perspective primarily, but learning that we have IP that not only serves as unit holders, but we have fund accounting, we have advisor and portfolio mix, we have like the the ecosystem that CGI owns has been this, this welcome surprise uh, since I joined because my focus has been or was to be primarily on the BPO of the unit holder system um, to start. And then we will try to build out on a much more uh, bigger scale in different industries. But the capabilities we have that the public may not be aware of is really uh, a great asset that we need to do a better job of telling, telling the story about our capabilities as a firm. Well, so let's, let's speak about our capabilities yeah. then. Since we have so many hidden secrets, it seems, uh, it would be good to expose some of them, uh, especially, you know, one of the things that really surprised me was, is just how broad CGI is in terms of the fact that we work with NASA. So we're in outer space, we're in banking, we're in insurance, we're in finance. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's really funny, but there was a, I believe it was like a little short promo video that was made a a few years ago when I joined CGI about the fact that almost everything you do in your day-to-day -day, uh, life, like CGI is involved in like close to 90% of that. And that is a very significant number. So there is a lot and we do have a very far reach. And I don't think everyone's aware of that, myself included. Um, you know, last episode from Jamie Holland, I learned about our role in insurance and I was pretty blown away that we are a essentially the data holder for all of insurance in Canada. Um, so, you know, to either of you, and you can obviously both get your uh, takes on this, but share some of the capabilities that CGI has that the public is not, may not be as aware of. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take a shot and then, yeah. and then let you add on. Um, but first of all, no, it's funny that you mentioned that, that video, uh, we used that video recently as we welcomed new members into the organization in town halls with, you know, 300 new people. We showed them that video <laughs> of what life is like at CGI. And, and, and it's and it's exciting um, when people see that uh, and see how how much we're out there um, and in different areas. Right. And, and then we get to come back to talking about the back office, which, again, we already established is not necessarily <laughs> the sexiest part of the world. But um yeah, but it, but it's fascinating when we think about payments and the like. Um, if we just stay on the wealth focus for a bit, you know, um, having listened to the previous wealth chats, you know, you've had different representation from the, the the different products we offer in a wealth space. But really, it's about a continuum for the wealth industry. And you know, I'm 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 here today responsible for the back office side, but we have the front office capabilities around our whether it's portfolio management, um, you know, advisor tools 
with the desktop of the advisors, whether it's in the middle office around portfolio accounting or the fund accounting capabilities. Um, it's really about that continuum sort of end to end. Um, and I do think that that from a CGI perspective, um, we, ha we have progress to make on on demonstrating how that connects, because I think in the Canadian marketplace, you often have different buyers buying those products, same same financial service companies, but different buyers inside of those organizations. And so sometimes they don't tie them together. And I think it's incumbent on CGI to, to, to help continue to promote in the industry the value that you can get by consolidating across a value change. Obviously, we look to, to create synergies through our integrations across those platforms and the like. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's still incumbent on us and, and it's still a hurdle we have in getting people to see that. Because again, it, you know, you think about investment shop and, and Tej, you've got a lot of experience from a career point of view there. So I'm, so I'm curious on, on your take on my sort of assertion here that, you know, it might be the same company, but they're completely different buyers in some yeah. case, right? The person who's responsible for the back office tools and the person that's responsible for the front office portfolio right. management tools, you know, they're often not the same buyers, yeah. uh, even though we can bring value across them. Yeah, totally. The response that I've had sharing with my network that I now work at CGI and, and the capabilities we have, they're always blown away. They're like, I've worked with CGI for years. I thought they just did one thing or two things and had no. And so all of a sudden we have curiosity uh, from leadership within firms on Bay Street that want to know more about what can CGI really do for me. Because simplifying the delivery by working with a partner of choice like CGI would be a tremendous benefit because it reduces all sorts of complications in paperwork, et cetera, in contracts. And so it's been a great, it's, it's been a great story to tell that I now uh, represent CGI and I'm happy to uh, introduce them to people within the organization that represents a variety of IP that we own and capabilities that we have. And again, what's, what's fascinating about CGI is we're not confined to Canada because we're in 40 countries. We can bring to bear to our Canadian clients things that are happening elsewhere in the world that may be ahead of where we are in adoption in North America. So that's been a tremendous differentiator as well. So it's been it's been an exciting story to tell so far for me. Yeah, and I, and I think if, you know, if we just talk, a, a expand a little bit on the, you know, what do people not know or, or other components? You know, we've got a business consulting business uh, and, and very focused in the wealth space of late as well. Um, and when you really think about it, when people are out there looking at partners, we have people that we would deem as competitors in the IP space. They sell software, but that's what they do. We have competitors in the, you know, the typical SINC consulting technology projects, but they typically don't come with a lot of IP. Um, there's certainly people that do the business process outsourcing. Uh, most of them don't have their own IP in that. Mm -hmm. And then when you look at business consulting, you know, there's a lot of business consulting companies out there, um, but they don't necessarily have the, the hands-on experience uh, of running the IP, running the operations in the business. And so I, I think, especially with the, the recent addition of the BPO and, mm -hmm. and, and Tage coming on as our, as our product owner and driving that, I think we've got a real opportunity to even expand that sort of value proposition where CGI can come in and not just play in one of those silos that our clients and prospects typically are looking for people in each of those silos. Yeah. Um, and we have a, we have a unique collection we can bring together. Now, some people in the marketplace are, are 
afraid of overconsolidation with a vendor. But that that um, I, I think one of the good things about the CGI client centric approach is that as much as I talk about, we have that value chain. If somebody's interested in IP and only IP and doesn't want our business consultants there, that's okay. that, that that that's completely okay. Uh, we're not necessarily using one to feed the other. They they're they're there to serve the clients as a whole uh, and drive the greatest value we can for them. Our management consulting team is getting a lot of traction right now in helping with regulatory reform that's happening that's affecting pretty much everyone in the space. And so the team is rather busy, uh, which is great because again, as a partner, being able to deliver technology that solves these problems, management consulting on how the organization needs to change uh, to meet the regulatory obligations is a huge benefit. And so collectively, it is such a great story that CGI has to tell, and I'm like, I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Is what, is where I'm at right now. So, well, I'm glad that you know it, that everyone's seeing the positives here. Mm -hmm. um, I will say, you know, as someone who is part of the consulting group myself, uh, management and consulting, our latest offering, is something that we've been very excited about. And just to, you know, share a little bit about how we're running it and a bit of the origins of it, you know, we wanted to provide like true consulting to our clients because we noticed that sometimes we would go in and it was like they just, before you can even give them a product or, or an IP solution, there was some work that they had, they needed to do. It had to be done and, you know, they, they needed help with it. And we had the capabilities starting off with the wealth side where we can actually consult with them on a wealth management level because, uh, you know, there are wealth experts on our team uh, who are very well versed in that domain. So we decided, okay, so let's introduce this management consulting side, but we don't really want to be a typical consulting house. We w So what we're doing is something that we've kind of dubbed applied consulting, which is we come and we do the consulting work for you or with you, more, it's more like it. And then we actually stay there and we help you with the change in your organization. So it's not that we come in, you know, for a couple of weeks or a few months, get all this data and then leave you with like a 50 page PDF file or a deck. Instead, we're there and we are helping you now, in, you know, implement these changes. And as you mentioned, we have technology, we have consulting, but sometimes our technology might not be the right fit. So when we have our consulting hat on, it's very important, something that we keep on emphasizing that it is not about having additional sales right. on the IP set as well, because then we wouldn't be true consultants, right? Um, and we wouldn't be good partners either. So Exactly. Yeah. So uh, that's a little bit about our management consulting side that I just had to input. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> and we and we're, we're we, we, we've seen great partnerships between those parts of the business. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I've had, I know there's been members of the IP teams that have helped on a, on a, you know, as needed basis to the management consultants because maybe they're, they're uh, looking at a scenario with a client that is struggling with an IP that is similar to IP that we use right. and not about selling them, but just about additional context and, and using that power of CGI, right? We, we need to look at the tools, you know, we have over a thousand wealth professionals in Canada for CGI. And it's, you know, it's all about how do we maximize those talents? across mm -hmm. what whatever line you're in whether you're a bpo and ip a management consulting uh, how do we how do we leverage all those skills right well since we are speaking about wealth and since that is 
where I'm from, <laughs> originally from that industry. Uh, and we both of you have mentioned back office a few times. So I, I sort of want to dive a bit into the back office space. Um, like I started off this session with, like, that's a bit of a mystery to me. Like when I was in the industry, obviously, there was a fair bit of work that the back office did, but it, it sort of was, you would make the request and then it would go into like this, you know, black hole almost. And there's some a reason magic, it's called the back office, right? right? The actual physical <laughs> original construct. Right. There, there were like, it was like there were some magic elves in the background yeah. that were getting it all done. All I knew is that the request is gone. It's going to get done. But can you speak a bit about what happens there? I can tell you that one of the things that really shocked me was when I started in the industry, I was originally a co-op student and I, my team brings me in and, you know, I'm getting a bit of an orientation and then they showed me a fax machine and I was like, what is this? Like, what, what is it? What do I do with it? What's you know, why is there a fax machine here? Because I've heard of what fax machines were, but I had never seen one, never interacted with one. And to see that it was in a modern office on, you know, Bay Street was it was a complete shock to me. And that was one of the communication routes that was used for the back office. So I'm curious to get your guys' take on that ecosystem. Like, what is the back office? What is happening there? And, you know, just shed a bit of light on the mystery. Paige, I think she just planted a way to like age ourselves. Because we're you, you and I will tell stories about when the first fax machines went in and it was really good. So but I, I think I think I'll let you handle this. Yeah. So um people, uh, you know, they're the most important part of this business. And so they have preferences. And so some financial advisors or firms have a preference to deliver things by fax and and so uh, we cannot discriminate. Uh, we would prefer them to use electronic means, of course, but uh, for those that choose fax. And unfortunately, sometimes it's not only their personal preference, but their regulatory constraints that requires them to provide as evidence to the fund companies, uh, the backup of a will or the backup of, you know, confirmation of identity, et cetera. And so, unfortunately, uh, until they, there's an investment in digitizing the entire workflow, uh, faxes will still remain a part of our business today, hence the back office. Um, not only do we do back office processing in terms of ingesting that data, but also we're held responsible for ensuring that uh, assets are properly recorded, that when you change your name, that you're doing it following all the right steps, that when you get married or divorced or have kids, et cetera, and so there are a variety of things that we in the back office space are required to do, not just from an obligation to our client, but from an ecosystem, from a regulator perspective that we need to then do the reporting on. Uh, so it is a, a very important. There are no else in the background. There are people uh, who too have invested careers in trying to find the optimal way to, uh, to perform the tasks they need to do on the back end. And the volumes are staggering. I mean, you know, some of our clients get thousands of faxes every day that have to be processed in a timely manner. And so it is quite the strain on a small group of people to service the entire country for most fund companies. And this is where BPO and the ability to scale and leverage, uh, you know, skill sets or repeatable tasks uh, creates an opportunity for us at CGI. And, and because we're an IT firm as well, it gives us capabilities that our peers do not have. So, yeah. And, and when you, when you look at, some of these activities, um, it's worth noting that, you know, one of the 
disadvantages in the back office is that asset managers are looking to collect assets. If they have an advisor who likes to do old school paper, they're not going to turn the money away That's typically, right? right? Um, and so when you think about um, sort of the continuum of automation and, and the like, it, it kind of starts at the front. People will spend more time getting the advisors digitized and like, and then it'll trickle down into the back office. Um, but but to Tej's point and, and where he was going, you know, one of the great opportunities we have being a technology comp company in the BPO space is looking at the technology tools, what we can bring to bear. Uh, we've got automation centers of excellence around the globe. Uh, we've got partnerships with a couple of the leading um, automation technology tools that are out there and bringing that forward where, you know, traditionally uh, asset managers have been running an operation in-house, you know, they've only got so much scale um, and they're not technology providers. And one of the challenges that they face is it, it's the capital investment. Um, and when you're working in, and, and, and Teju spent years inside of a asset manager, when decisions have to be made about where capital investment's gonna go, sure, everybody's gonna look at ROI and the like, but the back office and operations, you know, again, it's that, I hate to overuse it, the unsexy business, maybe there's an ROI, <clears throat> excuse me, but is it helping you grow your assets? Is it getting you another dollar of assets, which is really the primary focus in such a competitive environment? Um, and so that's where CGI can can make a difference. You know, we're we're willing and able to make capital investments for the overall efficiencies, gains, automation. That if if that operation is contained, and you know, and this goes with with also people that run their own in house IP. You know, when that's contained within an organization, it's tough for those the the leaders of those operations and technology teams to get their piece of the pie at the table. Because their piece of the pie doesn't generate revenue, Correct. might create yeah. savings, yeah, yeah. but it doesn't generate revenue typically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so we see that challenge, and that's that's where we can come in and and you know we can make the capital investment as part of the uh, an arrangement with the client, and and they can not burden the organization or have, you know they, they get to step away from mom and dad's table of begging for an increased allowance. Uh, they're they're sort of self funding it. Yeah. So this part where we come in and help that's the BPO component. Yeah, I would say it's I'd say it's both uh Lubna cuz we we from an IP point of view, you know, we'll also look at organizations that are currently running their own platforms in-house. Um, you know, they're aging, they're costly to maintain, no scale once you're running your own. Uh and we can look at that from just a platform point of view, just from an IP point of view, certainly um, that that's been part of our approach, and having opportunities to to look at that, look at the automation, look at it, the capital investment. So so you know that sort of dovetails into our modernization. You know CGI and our IP, we've gone through modernization activities for our own IP, proven the ability to deliver modernized applications, taking legacy monolithic applications and converting them to modern applications, which really then allows us to start taking advantage of the digital world and and connecting into digitized front ends and and the likes mm -hmm. of that um it really unlocks uh, some of the automation so it's not just about the bpo side there's certainly uh the ip side standalone on on, on its own has got lots of those opportunities as well um and, the, and those modernization programs are significant significant spends um, that typically, again, somebody who's running their own platform, 
they can't get that kind of capital investment from the organization um, to, to take because they're just, again, it's that if you're not generating revenue, it's much harder to justify the spend. And, and you know, in, in, in magnitude, we're talking, you know, eight figure type projects. Mm -hmm. These are not mm -hmm. small projects. They're multi-year journeys um, that you need to need to go through. So it's, so it's both the IT and the VPO side, I would say on that. That's, yeah. That really is the differentiator. Um, because we have the opportunity to take on the back office processing in the call center, plus minimize the risk to the asset manager by taking the systems that they're most comfortable with and they've trusted their, their business with for the last 30 years and taking them on a modernization journey that allows them to be a much more competitor, uh, competitive uh, within the industry and, and um, making their clients happy. So it's, it's, it's a combination of our ability to deliver our automation uh, experts around the world that can then drive greater automation and cost savings uh, for our clients. And then of course, the ability to uh, modernize their systems that they have in place um, without them having to go and replicate another IT team to, because business keeps happening every day. So there's change every day. There is no dedicated team that can then come in and modernize. And so with our scale, we have the ability in our global delivery, we can totally uh, step in and help that client get to where they'd like to go. Right. That's great. So you both have been speaking about modernization and digital transformation, mm -hmm. things that I'm very familiar with, okay. but again, from mm -hmm. the front office uh, aspect, because obviously in that realm, it, it's all about digital onboarding and digitizing all the workflows, yeah. you know, trying to eliminate some of those factors, I suppose. I'm curious, given what you both have said, how much of that transformation is actually happening in the back office space? Because I feel that it's not something I often hear about. The, and perhaps to your point, Len, it's because it's not something that's discussed as often. It's not as fun as the front office side, yeah. if you will. But is there like significant traction happening in the back office to try to be more more moderate and to have more digital technologies introduced to help with you know the workload, which sounds like it, there's a lot happening there. Yeah. Um, yeah so so I I'll, I'll comment on that a couple of ways on the the platform side. Um, industry wide, I would say there is an awareness and a need and an, and an enhanced need for modernization. Is it happening at scale? Uh, not yet. I think CGI is starting to change that. Uh, we went through a modernization journey for our funds manufacturing platform known as Fund360, a uh, five-year journey where we fully modernize that application. And the challenges in the legacy applications are not just the technology, but it's legacy um, infrastructure, the cost of that infrastructure, it's legacy skills that get harder to find people that can continue to do those. But then it's also the lack of being able to do the digitization. So we've been on a five-year journey that we've recently concluded where we have modernized our Funds360 stack, um, You know, had great recognition from independent third parties around it, um, fantastic rollout of those capabilities uh, to our clients. And, it, and it's that that was also a catalyst for some of the other organizations to, that, that we've partnered with. Um, there are a number of companies out there with in-house legacy platforms, not just mutual fund manufacturing across lots of platforms. Yeah, yeah. It, it's very common where they built something homegrown 25 years ago, 30 years ago. And it's like anything like 
you know, if it keeps working, it's that, it's that car, you know, it keeps working and, and do I want to spend the money to replace my car as long as it keeps getting me from A exactly. to B? But the problem is eventually it starts costing you more. You're doing more repairs, you're doing everything else. So getting A to B is becoming more costly than it used to at a time when you want it to get cheaper because yeah. everything's become more competitive, right? So the cost to maintain your IT are going up when the cost pressures in the industry over the years have gone nothing but down. Correct. Back when people built in-house IT systems, you know, being being real frank, um, the expense scrutiny on on the asset managers wasn't as as intense as it is now. It became back then. It was more about the marketing, and obviously you had to have returns and all that stuff. Um, but now it, it's all cost compression, right? So they don't have the luxury of being able to take increased costs with aging platforms. Um, and so to, to sort of finish out my analogy, you know, the, a lot of people are realizing they got this car that's costing them a lot of money to get to A B, but they're actually more afraid that they're just not going to get to B, that they'll be on the highway on the yeah. on the side of the road. Um, and so, you know, they're 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 looking to CGI to figure out how we can come in and 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 help them in that. Um, and ultimately, if I keep playing off that analogy, you know, it's a you know, we we rebuild the platform top to bottom. We don't give them a new car. We give them a we we give them the uh, modernized version of the car they had, which. Uh, you know, would uh, would be like moving up a model year or something like that to to complete my analogy. But um, you know, it's about that modernization capabilities and unlocking the capital investment so that they don't have to make it. CGI can make it and allow them to spend their money elsewhere. But I think that analogy, though, we don't give them a new car; we give them a modernized car. It, I feel that would be very helpful because, in that sense you're not introducing something brand new to their ecosystem. It's infrastructure that they're already set up for, but it's just modernized so that they can do things. The steering wheel still in the same spot. The seat's in the same spot. The mirrors are in the same spot. <laughs> like that, that's really what it comes down to is modernizing because yeah. changing platforms is disruptive across the Correct. business, not just to your technology, but to your operations, yeah. to how your you interact with your too. downstream systems, your clients. And so we're able to modernize existing platforms while leaving the ecosystem around them. Mm -hmm fairly intact so I, that it's not as disruptive right right and i i would think logically that that is probably one of the best approaches just because if when you do introduce something brand new there's also significant risks especially when you speak about the industries that we're speaking about today uh you know they can't really afford to take that much risk because they are dealing with very large numbers a lot of complexities you have various stakeholders that are involved so getting something that they're already used to, but that can perform better, that fits the way the old thing fit, would seem to be the best solution to me. Yeah. Unless I'm missing something here. I think having cost pressures drive, there's, back to your original question, there's definitely an appetite by firms to modernize and digitize. Uh, risk though, our competitors would say, we can do that, but you need to convert to system B. We're saying, you don't need to do that. You can stay on system A, but we'll take you on the journey that gets you your platform in a much more, uh, in a state that is much more modern and therefore can interact better with your ecosystems by doing uh, things that uh, CGI has already demonstrated in the modernization of Funds360 uh, by building API layers, uh, making sure that there's no legacy technology as part of the ecosystem of the platform. So. There are things that we do that I, I think differentiates us um, in the marketplace, and I'm excited.
Perfect. Well, it sounds like there's a lot happening here. Um, you both have met, um, sorry, you have both mentioned asset management during this conversation. Um, I feel like that's another term that we hear a lot. We hear about wealth management, asset management. What is asset management actually? And look, what's happening there? As the guy that worked as an asset manager, <laughs> I'll let you handle that one. Sure. So an asset manager, uh, primary focus is aggregation of assets from investors or money from investors. Um, and then they take that money and they invest it uh, to meet the objectives of those clients. So they're typically portfolio managers um, who will take the money, find the best investments for those clients uh, based on their risk profile, all that additional details that comes along with that uh, check for investing. Um, but that's, in an essence, that's what an asset manager does. Of course, burdened by all the regulatory things they have to do, like compliance, like tax reporting statements, record keeping, fund accounting, uh, marketing disclosure, et cetera. But uh, in the end of the day, the, the business is managing money that people have been trusted with them. Right. Seems mm. like a very important job. Yeah, I mean, it's part of the wealth ecosystem. And, yeah. and people throw around wealth management, asset management. You see the financial institutions out there in Canada, they're... They merge asset management under wealth management. They have them in separate arms, right. but really, it's you know when you really look at it, the, the wealth is the is sort of the broader banner of right. managing Canadians' wealth. The asset management is 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 less so about the gathering of assets, right? The advisors aren't in the asset management channel. The asset manager, the, once you've gathered the the money, who are you giving it to to manage, right? right? And yeah. that, that's really sort of where that right deviates. Uh, right. And I, I guess mutual funds are a good example of this, right? Like, um, I'm sure people have heard of mutual funds or, um, they're, they're usually within that space. Um, so what's interesting is that we had some 2021 data that came out, uh, when it comes to asset management in North America. And the reason, uh, I'm bringing this up is because you were both speaking about costs. Mm -hmm. And so. Uh, obviously, costs in any industry are something that need to be dealt with. So what we learned from some of the numbers that came out for 2021 is that the cost obviously went up in 2021 for the North American asset management industry. I believe uh, they were up by about 8% in 2021. Um, and just to compare that, their asset, their AUM, went up by 14%. So, you know, the cost are kind of close to double, uh, or sorry, uh, yeah, close to double of what the, or sorry, close to half of what the uh, AUM was, right. which can be a bit concerning for an industry that has so much that they do, some of the things that you both have mentioned. So how do you help them? I know that operations, technology, these were some of the pressure points when it comes to what was helping drive this costing in, mm. in 2021. Um, what can they do? Like, how are they trying to get some of these costs under control? I think a traditional asset manager with in-house staff and systems, um, they don't have a whole lot of opportunity to, to, cause it's to change or control that cost. Cause it's a market they're confined. Um, and so it becomes, you know, a struggle to replace people. You have people then, um, going working longer, going on short-term disability because uh, they're being overworked, et cetera. But when you partner with someone like CGI that has a global delivery, 
The constraints of labor shortage in North America can be mitigated by available labor in other parts of the world that we can bring to bear, um, but not just as people, but knowledge workers, where we would invest uh, in ensuring they're properly trained with the uh, information that they need to to deliver the services. And again, it separates us from uh, a company. Because can you imagine, you know, I've I've worked in Canada. We, we're a Canadian company. Can't find employees anymore. Let's go set up shop in some other jurisdiction. That would be such a huge investment task, an unknown. CGI is in 40 countries today. We have people in place, buildings, et cetera, infrastructure that we can leverage and turn up very quickly to meet the needs of our clients. And so um, though those costs are rising and in part, you know, labor shortage and, and pandemic is, um, are probably the primary drivers, there's very little that a Canadian manufacturer can do uh, to mitigate those uh, costs right now, other than partnering with someone. Speaking of stats, there was a great report that came out last December where 97% of asset managers in the U.S. have already partnered with a with someone like a CGI because they recognize that their cost increases is outpacing the rate of asset acquisition. And it's something that is very hard to control if you don't partner or do something like uh, CI and others have, are starting to do, um, you have very little opportunity to play that as a lever in terms of controlling your cost. And, and, and maybe I'll just add on to that. I, I think the data that you use as an example there is a perfect illustration of, of one of the challenges of asset managers. Their costs, a, a, a significant portion of their costs may be driven by, by factors outside of their AUM. There certainly there are some factors that are tied to their AUM, you know, traditionally your custody fees and stuff are tied to your AUM. But let's face it, whether you got a process, a purchase or a redemption, it costs the same amount. One's losing you revenue, one's gaining you revenue. Um, when you think about, you know, you, as you talked about labor shortage and the cost of, of people, you know, and, and we've seen the inflationary environment, you know, uh, that, that's, it's going to cost more to run your platform. It's going to cost more to run your operations and the like. And you could be in a declining marketplace um, and you get stuck in the situation where you could have lots of volume still, but the assets in the marketplace, you know, last year was not a good year in the markets. Um, so you've actually got lower revenue as an asset manager coming in on potentially even higher volume, which would mean you need more costs. Yeah. And it's this, you know, so there's certainly a, a large percentage of their costs aren't always tied to their revenues, right? And, and I think in any... Any business leader in a utopian world would like their cost and revenue drivers to be exactly tied to each other, and that way everything sort of flows, yeah. right? Um, but but that's not the reality that we live in, and that's where, again, the, the CGI being able to come in and looking at automation and how do we take out some of those spikes that may happen, so it's more predictable. Um, you know, certainly uh, uh, commercial arrangements with our clients. You know, you you figure out arrangements that have shared risk in them and yeah. the like, uh, so that they can see a smoother path ahead and take away some of that risk. Um, but it absolutely is, is one of the challenges the asset managers faced is the cost drivers may be changing independent of, yeah. of what's happening in the marketplace, whether you're gaining assets, losing assets, yeah. markets going up. Don't forget somebody can be, you know, have 20% more inflow money this year and still be 
down if the markets go down 40%, right? So yeah. that's that that that's a really good point and I feel there are the asset managers are saving several challenges as you've both alluded to. Um, it's really interesting that you brought up that it's not always tied to investments because if we do look at the 2021 data, for instance, their organic growth was I think close to 5%. Um, and then if you look at just not their cost, but the cost increase during the year was 8%, as I mentioned earlier. So they almost have to find a way to bring in these new assets in order to be able to, you know, keep the train running, which is obviously very concerning uh, when your costs are exceeding what you're bringing in. And so, but besides that, you obviously have, if you have a bad year, it doesn't matter how much you bring in, as you said, if the markets aren't cooperating, uh, then unfortunately your revenue suffers as a result of it. Uh, so there, there's a lot happening in that space. And uh, you, <laughs> I feel like this is where we speak about a bit about CI because CI, you know, obviously is within that industry as well. And they realized, Tej, uh, to your point, as all these other asset managers have, that a partnership is needed. There needs to be something that, you know, helps us control some of these factors to the best of their abilities. Obviously, no asset manager can control the stock market. You know, it, it's just it's far too big for any one player to be able to do anything even close to that. So can you both tell me a bit about the CI partnership that CGI has, what it entails, you know, a, a bit of the background of it, if you will. Sure, maybe I'll start at the high level sure, and yeah. I'll, I'll let you dive into it. So uh, yeah, we were very proud and, and happy to announce, uh, I, I guess, at end of August and, and with an effective date at the end of September of, of 2022, uh, partnership with CI where uh, they have entrusted CGI with the responsibility to uh, take their in-house mutual fund record-keeping platform, uh, modernize that application over time, um, and deliver it back to them in a software-as-a-service. So all the, the things we talked about, those challenges of legacy in-house applications and, and the agent, as well as um, take on their operations for the mutual fund record-keeping. So it's the operations in the call center. So uh, we're doing that on behalf of the CGI or the CI unit holders as well. Um, we were very fortunate to, to enter in this long-term agreement, welcomed um, nearly 250 CI employees over to CGI um, with, you know, just adding to our great pool of talent that we have and wealth professionals and the like. Um, now had the opportunity to work with, with the individuals for a number of months, fantastic team. Um, you know, Tage was part of that coming over as well. So, 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 uh, certainly, um, very welcoming to have Tage as part of our leadership team as, as part of that transaction as well. Tage and I have known each other for 20 some odd years in the industry. So, uh, we weren't strangers to each other. Um, but that, that's really the scope of it is we are their, uh, back office operations and the provider of the platform, uh, that, that were, uh, for their mutual fund record keeping at this point. Yeah. I'm sure what you want to add on in terms of sort of scope and profile. Yeah, I think it's in the journey um, as we got to know CGI through the process, um, you know, as one of the participants, um, they really stood out as the people who uh, have the skills and the capabilities that as an asset manager, um, whatever uh, hurdles may face us in the future or face CI in the future, the CGI would be able to bring capabilities to us to help overcome those challenges. So 
versus so this it's a complex deal it is back office modernization ams call center but also by partnering with tgi it's you know could they help us in other opportunities uh as we continue to grow at ci or as ci continues to grow still dealing with the ci cgi <laughs> uh, change but um so that stood out uh because it, it, it was not we were not just solving an issue where you know, we're looking to outsource the call center and back office, but really was partnering with someone who gives us capabilities and opportunities to do additional things in the future. Um, and that's, I believe, why CGI was the winner in this uh, process. Yeah, I think we like mm. to position ourselves as, as you know, future-proofing somebody's organization, both from a technology point of view, but also from an operational point mm. of view by bringing our our automation capabilities to bear, bringing our global delivery to bear, bringing our expertise to bear um, across automation and and the the technical platform. I think when you hear future proofing, you often think about that as in a technology point of view, but it's it's true to the operational point yeah. of view as well. Um, and then you know on top of that, it's you know having CGI as a voice. Again, I mentioned you know we're we're we are responsible in servicing a trillion dollars of mutual fund assets in Canada. Um, and so we have a voice within the industry and within the community. Tage is a part of a number of industry committees as are other members of the team. And, and you know, also being that collective voice for our clients and trying to help drive not just, you know, how CGI can deliver, but how do we help the industry as a whole sort of improve and, and um, you know, it's a, it's a great industry to be a part of, I've been a part of it my whole career, but it, but it's very collaborative. Uh, as much as everybody's competitors against each other, there is a strive to yeah, work, work yeah. together. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the FunServe community, that in itself, you know, when it started is sort of unique. Other countries, I've had the opportunity to, to, to be involved in a number of geographies over my career. And, and it's certainly unique to Canada to have a single central clearing pass through for the, for the fun space. Um, and so it's, uh, it, it, it's a, it's a privilege for us to be able to act on behalf of multiple clients yeah. within the industry, um, and bring sort of our wealth, our whole broad wealth expertise to our clients and to the industry. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, that definitely sounds like a very exciting endeavor. And I'm glad that, you know, we have that partnership now, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of lessons that we learn and, you know, I, I, Whenever I look at opportunities like this, I always think about the innovation opportunities. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've been speaking about the back office space and how just how much work there is to be done there, right? And it, it sounds like it requires a lot of manpower. Um, and so I'm sure you guys may have heard, but, you know, things like chat GPT are out there. So I'm just curious to get your take on when it comes to innovation in the back office, like is there are there technology that CGI is developing or other um, firms within the industry that are really trying to streamline, digitize, and you know, kind of bring that like future proofing and modern feel to an area that seems like it's you know still kind of stuck in the old days in some ways. We should have brought a laptop so we could ask ChatGPT to answer your question <laughs> and see what it came up with. Uh, Tate, you want to talk about some of the automation? You've been very involved in, in sure. some of the stuff that you've done previously and where we're going to take it? Yeah. So the um, CGI is currently not involved in building our own automation. There are people that are focused on um, technology and capabilities like 
the one you just described. So how do we then ingest that into our ecosystem to give us the greatest benefit with the minimal risk to our clients? Uh, and so um, there are some amazing technologies out there that we've deployed uh, successfully already that has proven to be tremendous at reducing the manual uh, labor that's required. Uh, it reduces errors, therefore reducing cost. Um, the, you know, chat GPT has the ability to take um, chat to a whole nother level. Uh, in today's world, oftentimes there are uh, chat capabilities, but empowered by someone in the background. Uh, now we would have the potential, and I say potential because, you know, the data that a financial services firm has are proprietary. And so there would be a lot of investment to train the chat GDP on the proprietary information, the structure, understanding, um, you know, and so it's some ways out, but the fact that the art of possible is now within reach uh, really gets, uh, gets me excited about the future and what it could mean from an impact in servicing our clients. Just imagine how much smarter Alexa and Google would be in a go-forward basis, having this empowering its background um, that can extend all the way to financial services as well. Because now, instead of waiting in a queue to speak to someone, I can simply ask my device at home for the answers I'm looking for with the right authentication. It can then look it up, come back to me and tell me whether, you know, I've made enough RSB contribution or not, or I've exceeded my uh, withdrawals, or I've, you know, have I paid all my bills on time, et cetera. It really has the potential uh, to do some amazing things and reduce costs on a go-forward basis. And so as long as the right guardrails are there and as well, I mean, in Canada, we're still burdened by a lot of regulatory um, regime that has not yet caught up with the technology capability. So we do need changes from both CRA, from our regulators to say, okay, now that we can appreciate the technology capabilities that are available to us, we can really uh, reduce the burden that exists today for us to fill out paper and share it back and forth. When when I look at sort of the the history of how some of the digitization has come out in the industry and sort of what drives it, I think what you see is you see a lag and a tail behind the experiences we have in our personal and consumer lives. So if I even think about you know and and you know I'm 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 dating myself, but I think about you know when online account access was offered to people. Mm -hmm. The financial institutions were, especially when some of the asset managers, were, were, you'd be surprised how far behind they were when you could already be doing everything else yeah. online. Like, it, it, like it, it, it seems to be when you get into some of these, uh, I'm not sure if paradigm shift is, is the right phrase, but when you get into some of these shifts, it almost has to be by consumer demand, right? So if you think about chat, I don't think there's a lot of organizations out there that are saying, oh, let's do a chat bot instead of a call center because the perception is people want to talk to somebody. Right. But at some point, the advisor community, the public community is going to be like, well, why do I have to pick up the phone and call somebody? Mm -hmm. yeah. But it, but I, I, my, my history anyways, I, I, I've seen it. We seem to lag the consumer and personal experience. I feel like what I can experience in my personal life, on my phone, on my apps, all those things, you yeah. know. I'm not going to call out. I have right. I, I I invest with someone that doesn't have an app for my phone. I'm right. like, how is that a thing? So I won't call them out. But um, you know, it's it's there, there's a there's a lag. Uh, so I think we're a ways away from that. I think CGI we've got great capabilities, and I think we can bring them 
to our clients and demonstrate them. Um, and I think what we have to do is, is help educate on what some of those barriers for removal are, but we can't do it independently. We, there, there's some, some advancements that we cannot do on our own. They yeah. need to be accepted by the industry and the community. And so that's where we have to be the voice in the industry and the community and help our clients uh, know the art of the possible yeah. so that they can they can push it. There's some stuff that we can do for ourselves. Yeah. You know, the low hanging fruit, some of the automation and the like, but but some of the stuff requires the ecosystem to change. Yeah. And so we have to be ready for it. We have to forecast for it. We'll, yeah. I mean this this is very much like open banking. Like it's something we're all excited for, but the ecosystems aren't there today, the acceptance isn't there, the players aren't ready. And so as much as we um, are excited, and, and as you know, we have the whole practice on open banking um, to help clients get there, we've, we, it's a wait. We gotta wait when the consumers start demanding and making noise that why, why can I not have a single uh, place that knows everything about me that I can decide who gets access to my information or not, instead of having to fill out forms for every company that I deal with. So great, great, great example. Yeah. The technology's ready. Yeah, it's it's waiting for it's the adoption. Now, in that case, it might be some, some <laughs> regulatory and, exactly. and, and, and governance more than than anything. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's a great place for me to say that we will have an open banking wealth chat episode oh, very soon. Excellent. Uh, yes, that's I'm <laughs> I am trying to uh, secure the proper guest for it because okay. I, it's an area that is getting a lot of traction. It's yeah. very fascinating. There's a lot happening there. And, you know, to your point, Tej, it seems like the regulators, some of the other bodies, you know, the, the institutions, they're not really keeping up with the times. They're not keeping up with the technology. Yeah. And open banking is one way to change that. In defense of the regula regulators, though, I will say this one thing, which is, it is very difficult to, you know, keep up with technology mm -hmm. and to always have the right hurdles in place, to always have the proper protective barriers in place. I mean, I've, I don't mean to harp on this, but, you know, the 09 uh, situation is a good example of how Canada's regulations kept us safe. You know, what happened in the States, what happened with some of in Europe, you know, some of the bankruptcies in Iceland even. Um, they're a good example. None of that you know, really touched us much because right. of the protective layer that we have. So our regulators are doing a good job in that sense. But uh, as with anyone, I get very frustrated with red tape and I just want want innovation and I want things to move yeah. forward. Um, but I have come to realize and appreciate what is being done for our protection. Um, I do think that we need to start accelerating some areas though. And open banking, thankfully, it seems like is something that we'll get in 2023, at least the initial phase of it. Right. So I look forward to uh, seeing how that'll happen. And hopefully I can get a very uh, exciting guest here. Good. They'll share all that entire perspective for us from different angles. Awesome. Um, now, besides that, uh, Besides the regu uh, regulatory point, uh, I am curious, though, when it, it comes to BPO and, you know, the asset managers realizing that they do need to partner with someone like BPO is is not a new thing. It's been around for a while. Right. Um, what is new is the approach that CGI has taken with CI. Um, can you elaborate a bit on that? Like what new elements are we introducing to something that has been around 
for a while now. Yeah, I, I think it's a few things, and you know, I, I said in my introduction, I've been I've been in this space, and and yeah, I've been responsible for BPO businesses for a number of years. Um, I think where CGI differentiates ourselves is is a couple ways. Um, one, um, the ability to execute BPO without having to modify the platform, change the platform. So you know, calling out the competitors. The competitors typically say. Oh, we can do your BPO, but you got to convert. And that takes us back to the initial roadblock we had where people don't want to have to uh, convert off of their platform. So I think I think our ability to uh, execute the BPO on the current platform um, is, is a key driver. But the reason that we're able to do that is because of the modernization path and because of the modernization that we can do to those legacy applications allows us to unlock the operational efficiencies bring the CGI strength around Automation Center of Excellences and other tools um, to allow our clients to grow their business, you know, at scale without worrying about sort of that operational cost because we can automate it. So I, I really do think, you know, what's different for us is that combination of being able to take the client on their journey, get them to a modernized platform in an automated operational environment without going through a heavy lift uh, conversion because um, i think that that is a blocker for a lot of people um for sure and but it's our track record and, and our ability and proven excellence in that regard um uh, that that stands out i think to people i'm not sure how you want to add on to that yeah i think it's the combination of not only the people and the global delivery model, but also the technology capabilities. Having to convert creates incredible risk, a change, uh, which people do not like, because uh, it can unravel things that weren't anticipated. And so the fact that we can take you on that journey and bring you to your target state, um, while at the same time delivering uh, at a cheaper um, operating model that you're currently running, is a very attractive uh, offering in the marketplace right now. And I think uh, this is why we're getting a lot of interest from people and, and uh, I'm excited. I think we can, there are a lot of firms that we can help um, manage through the changes and the challenges of cost uh, rising. And, and I think when we, you know, we've, we've started with our, our partnership here with CI that we've talked about, but we, we think there is significant untapped operational um, bloat across back office functions, whether mm -hmm. not just in the mutual fund and asset management space, but across organizations. And I think um, coming back to sort of where we started on this, I, I think they're all, a lot of organizations are confronted with that, but the barrier most often is technology. It's not, it's not about the operational capability. It's not about the people with capability. There's, 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 it might be hard to find some people, um, but there's great depth in the financial services in Canada and the like. Um, but it's about it's about the technology debt and the legacy mm -hmm. and the aging and the costing. Yeah. Um, and so we think there's you know and and and, and until they can tackle that, they can't get the operational gains. You know, to yeah. and an operations team, and if if you have legacy technology, there's only so much uh, you you yeah. can fine tune it. Yeah. Um, and so I think I think that's where CGI as a as a 
proven global leader in, you know, technology consulting projects, technology modernization, and the like, I think that's where it really helps us unlock. And so from a BPO perspective, we think there's, we think there's significant opportunities out, out there um, to help organizations. And we think the timing is right, because we think now is when people are, are really getting confronted with that legacy technology. I think it was easy to ignore for a while. Um, you know, I think there was people that were responsible for building those applications, okay. leading those teams. And and I think even sort of there's actually been almost like a generational turnover. I think people Correct. have been retiring that. So there's there's less worry about throwing the baby out with the bathwater type of thing, right? There's less uh, allegiance to some of the in-house platforms. Um, so I think I think the timing is 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 right and happy to be here at CGI and 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 driving that because I think I think we've got quite a quite an opportunity in front of us. Right. No, uh, I think we've said this many times, but it's definitely an exciting time and there's a lot happening. You mentioned there's a lot of bloat that we can help remove. And uh, that sort of takes me back to what we spoke about a little while ago, which is the automation piece and the chat GPT. Mm -hmm. And I bring up chat GPT because I've played with it and I'm very excited about it. It's definitely gotten my attention. Um, and you know, in one of your comments, uh, Tej, I believe you mentioned that you know you you have these bots, and sometimes people don't really want to deal with the bot; they want to deal with the person. I am one of those people, and that's mostly because the bot rarely solves my problem, right? It's yeah. okay. So I I call. It might be a call center. It might be even an online chat forum, mm -hmm. or you know, like experiencing some issues uh, with call centers. Uh, you know, most companies now have this chat option where you can go and you can live chat with an yep. agent. Yep. Um, but first, you always go through this bot. And the bots honestly really frustrate me because I find them to be a waste of time and they don't, they very, very rarely ever solve the issue. But now if I think about introducing chat GPT and uh, Lena's or Len Antage, I think you both mentioned this earlier, but having that proper governance, security, and data to it mm -hmm. so that, you know, the chat GPT has, let's say, my account information. I'm having, I don't know, a billing issue. It has my account information. So it goes and it actually interacts with me. And if you introduce this, you can implement it on scale where chat GPT can go and deal with, you know, a thousand different inquiries at, at pretty much the same time. Sure. Instead of where one person, you know, might be in their swivel chair and they have one chat here, one chat here, one mm -hmm. chat here, and they're trying to get to all of them. Not very effective, not very time efficient, not the best client experience. So in that case, I think chat GPT is something that could be very helpful. We've heard about smart bots mm -hmm. before, but I think this can sort of take that to the next level and actually be smart instead of just be called a smart bot if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. It has the potential, right? So if you were to, um, if you were to lose, uh, throw a bunch of documents on the ground and let chat GTP go at it, understand, contextualize the content, it can do that. But data in the financial services is protected by passwords, firewalls, et cetera, et cetera. So we would have to agree to some sort of ecosystem where uh, it would be exposed to that data to then be able to interpret and understand before it can answer you. Um, 
it will never have your password or your account number. So we'll have to figure out how to, uh, for it to accept a request, know who to talk to, to send that information that you've just inputted and get the right answer for you. So it has potential for public domain content. So, I mean, the company that really should be uh, challenged today are the search engines, right? Because do we really need those anymore that gives you 10,000 responses and you got to figure out which one to read? Or will you use uh, chat GPT going forward because it gives you the more precise, your perception of what is the more precise answer? Um, and so the application, I think, will, again, create the art of possible that we can probably borrow from to do delivery of financial services and probably medicine as well, and even emergencies. And there's a plethora of places. Uh, can you imagine pharmacies? You don't need to call and speak to someone. You can just ask um, once you've authenticated. So they've got to figure out a bunch of things like voice authentication, et cetera, on a go forward basis to know that it is Tage that's calling. Um, but I'm sure they'll get there in the potential. And there's no doubt, like sometimes these things have to happen as a playground that then creates sparks to go, wow, if only if I can take 5% of you know, chat GTP and apply to financial services, can I reduce my call center uh, cost and agents because now this has the capability to answer calls um, or inquiries smartly 24 seven. I don't know if it does multiple languages yet. We'll need to figure that out in Canada, of course, um, but it has potential. Well, it's really interesting that you said it getting your account number mm -hmm. because something that I'm sure most people have experienced is sometimes when you call in, they will, via phone, they'll ask you, enter your account number followed by the right. pound sign, yeah. that the hashtag sign, right? Yeah. So there is already some type of authentication that's being built in into some of this, that's you right. know, smart bots and automation that so that the agent can more quickly perhaps already have your account on there uh, before you even get to them. That's they can right. review it. So we are already making progress. Correct in that direction in some sense. Sure. Uh, one, one of, uh, and, and to be honest, I'm not sure who it is. One of the service providers I use in my personal life, they have a voice recognition for me. I think it's one of the telecom companies. I remember doing <laughs> it. And, and so they have a voice recognition that authenticates who I am and all this stuff. They still ask you a question right. or two when they get there. You know, I think, I think we, we talked about this. It's all about the art of the possible. Back to my earlier point, I think the financial services industry is going to lag a bit. Um, I'm with you, Lubna. If I sign in, I have a default. I'd rather not call. I'd rather chat, but only if it's a live chat. If I hit chat and a bot comes up, I close it on my phone because um, you know those bots, the smart bots aren't going to get you where you need to go. If it's a live chat, I don't mind doing that because it allows me to multitask and do other things and not be yeah, stuck yeah. on hold. Um, but I, but I think it's it, you know, whether it's chat or GPT or or you know, AI or ML, right? Mm -hmm. Like I think I think as we look to the financial services and we look at where we've been as an ecosystem and an in in industry, there's a ton of data out there, right? How do we enable our clients to best leverage and use the tools and the data that are out there, right? So whether it's chat, like, and, and, and those things are great, they're a servicing tool, but maybe it's an AI thing where we start looking at machine learning and AI to enable our asset manager clients to have a better forecast or prediction of what their client behaviors are going to be and where they're going to go. Yeah. Um, so I think I think we are on an early stage front of really understanding how that's going to apply within the financial services space. Um, 
CGI certainly has got lots of, of emerging technology type capabilities, whether it be automation, AI, machine learning. Uh, we've done some sort of pilot proof of concept type activities around looking at those. Uh, but I really do think that that, you know, bringing us a little bit full circle, you can't get there sitting on a legacy old technology. Yeah. And that's why we talk about, you know, the modernization of platforms being the, the underpinning and, and, you know, and CGI strength there, but that's the underpinning. Cause once you do that, then you can layer in the, the, the fun, sexier stuff. You know, I talked <laughs> about the unsexy world of the back office, but AI machine learning, everybody wants to talk about how we're going to layer that in and how you're going to do that. Very, very hard to do on old legacy tech. Um, so, so I think that's really about where it unlocks. And that's, you know, that's the journey we need to take our clients on. We already have done it for our own IP. So we're already starting to look at how do we, you know, now that we've unlocked that, what's the next step? Yeah. yeah I mean, we, there's a great client story um, of some work we did around AI um, to help with reducing errors. And it was fascinating that the potential um, human errors um, by observing behavior and time of day, et cetera. So we we know the potential of CGI. We're uh, using it today with our clients based on their needs. Um, and, you know, we love the innovation of, of uh, Chat GPT, and I can't wait to see how it evolves. Uh, but I don't think it's ready yet for, for us in this space. Well, I mean, I just heard about it a few weeks ago. So okay. it's still very new yeah. and it's uh, gaining a lot of traction. Um, that is interesting, though, that you are you're using AI to catch these types of errors based on human behaviors. Sure. I, I think that's a really fascinating area. Mm -hmm. um, now, when it comes to AI and ML, um, I'm very interested in these topics. And whenever I speak with data scientists about them, because mm -hmm. these are obviously very data driven, it seems at least the financial industry, one of the main hurdles is the structure of data. So they're not collecting data the right way for it to be analyzed appropriately and then fed into the process to get a good response. But it seems like there are strides being made to correct that. Um, I'm curious, can you comment a bit on that when it comes to the back office space in terms of data and how they're trying to structure it properly to ensure that things like automation can occur, things like AI, ML, and you know perhaps down the road, chat GPT can be utilized in an effective manner, essentially? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't want to sound like a broken record. It comes to sort of modernizing the stack and not being on the old legacy platforms. Certainly, you're, you're not going to get to uh, one common standard data model across all the different platforms and the like. Um, but there's certainly great opportunities and tools that you can enable around uh, data consistency, data ingestion. You know, everybody's got their terms for their data lakes and, mm -hmm. the, and the like. Um, but there, there certainly are the opportunities to do that and then drive. When you look at like an AI or an ML, a lot of times it really comes down to the use case that you're trying to establish and then look at how do you get the data to do it. Um, and I think where we can help our clients is drive the value around identifying the use cases, identifying um, the actions that would come out of those use cases. And then as a, as a leading technology firm, figure out how do we apply those use cases to the different data models and data yeah. sets that exist. You're, you're never, 
you know, I think you're, I think you're, you're, you're living a pipe dream if you think you're going to get to a single data model and set. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's that use case, you know, and, and, yeah. and the case they just talking about, you know, that, that is a use case scenario that's very, um, useful to lots of firms. Sure. You'd have to, you'd have to have some techno technical work to apply it elsewhere. Um, but it, but it's about those use cases and, and efficiencies. And I think there's untapped information lying in the data that our asset managers would, uh, value. And, and I think that's a, that's a, a future opportunity within the back office because the back office data has typically just been looked at as, okay, that's where everybody's name and address and units are. Right. They spend a lot of time analyzing portfolio and the portfolio analytics is an entire industry of itself and the mm-hmm. like, yeah. you know, I don't, I'm not sure enough has been done to analyze investor behavior and activities and advisors Correct. and the like. Yeah. So the asset management industry, I think focuses now on uh, creating a, everyone's busy filling up a data lake. <laughs> and then from there, we will magically figure out a bunch of things. Um, but the, the industry seems to be focused on, let's get a data lake established because there are no structured or standardized structure of data. Uh, so let's do that first. And then from there, we can start analyzing to see behaviors around, you know what? It seems that people in Saskatchewan, when it's coldest, sends in the most number of faxes for redemptions. So we should probably <laughs> staff up better because we can anticipate that from past behavior. This is what happens. It's, or go tell the advisors to go call your clients so they don't sooner, so yeah. they don't do redemptions. <laughs> yeah, right. And so it has the potential to do all sorts of great things, but the data needs to be there. A data lake right now is the way that most firms are dealing with that. And then um, trying, many of them don't necessarily have the ability to then, uh, they don't, you know, data scientists are available, but not cheaply. And so um, I do believe we have some at CGI that can help in working with your data lake to come up with those models that help inform you about better predicting uh, outflows, inflows, behaviors, et cetera. I've had the fortune of being on a couple of calls with some of our team around that. Oh, and and, it, and it's the fastest way to feel like the dumbest guy in the room there. <laughs> so big brain power in, yeah. in, in that industry and in that part of the space, for sure. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, Len, Tej, this has been a very enlightening conversation for me. I've learned a lot. Before we wrap up, do either of you have any final comments? No, I, I'm, I just want to say thank you for having us. I think this is the timing is perfect. Um, we're glad that we're able to share something with you and hopefully, uh, you know, in a few years, we'll be back to tell you about our successes and, and maybe even expanding beyond wealth into other things for me, particularly. Yeah, uh, I echo the thank you. Thank you, Lebna. I enjoy this uh, for facilitating this. This is a, a fun experience to be able to talk about the the unsexy back office and pull us out <laughs> of the back, make us dress up nice for the day, you know, get out of the elf shop as you as you refer to it. I, I feel like we got to decorate it like Santa's, Santa's uh, shop. Yeah. Uh, for, for love and we'll take her on a tour someday. Um, no, thank you. Uh, and, and I echo with Tage that re- really exciting times for us, um, from a, from a back office perspective, as a guy who has spent my entire career in the back office, um, I, 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 I probably have never felt as, as the level of opportunity as I do now around changes within the back office and from an industry point of view and, and, and I'm just happy and, and and humbled to be a part of the CGI team and being able to lead the back office team at this point um, to go figure out how we're going to capitalize on those opportunities and how and help the 
Canadian investment industry as a whole and, and drive efficiencies for everybody. So thank you for having us. Yeah. Of course, my pleasure. And now for a little bit of housekeeping. If you enjoy this episode, please be sure to share, like, and subscribe. And we will catch you at the next one. Thank you.